Welcome to the first Made For It podcast featuring the one and only Coach Sean Miller, the head coach of the Arizona men's basketball team. There are a few things I'm going to talk to Coach Miller about. The first is his gold standard, um, why he chose to call his program a player's program and what that stems from, what Coach Miller looks for in a recruit, what is his kind of guy, how the game has changed from when he was a collegiate basketball player, what are Coach Miller's non-negotiables in his program and his philosophy on coaching. We're also going to touch on what Coach Miller loves to do outside of basketball and how he unwinds and has fun. Okay, I'm here with the legendary Sean Miller, um, Arizona's men's basketball coach. And we're going to put him in the hot seat a little bit. Um, I know you guys want to know a lot of things about get to know Sean Miller behind the scenes. So here you go. Um, tell us about the golden standard, the gold standard. Yeah, you know, Adia, the gold standard is uh, probably very similar to um, what you guys do. And I think what a lot of programs try to do, and that is, you know, what's fair is fair, and, you know, when you put out the starting five in college basketball, it's a big deal. You know, everybody wants to be introduced, and in, uh, the first five to walk out there for the jump ball, um, it's probably the same as when, when we played the game, like you want to start. So not only the starters, but just roles in general, you know, how do you uh, give feedback to players that they're doing well or that this is why you started this is why you didn't start this is you know kind of the role you've earned and this is why you didn't earn it so we have a managerial staff of about 10 to 12 they do a great job and we keep uh, statistics in every competitive segment of practice so if a week goes by at the end of that week we tally it up usually we'll double check everything and then we'll give the players feedback and it's the single player who has the highest score statistically from every live segment from the previous week's practice, they then get for the next week a gold jersey. It's reversible gold jersey. So everybody has, I think, blue and red, and uh, that that would be like blue and gold. And they stand out, and what are they exempt from or what's their prize? They don't have to run for any anything, you know, any competitive segment that their team would lose the following week or whatever, they're exempt from it. But I think the bigger prize is in our locker room, we keep it. And uh, anyone who watches us practice knows why that individual player is in a gold jersey because he was the best practice player uh, from the week before. And it's amazing how it develops a sense of pride. And it's something that I think, you know, legitimizes why we play who we play as coaches. And usually your best player is going to, like DeAndre always mm -hmm. had the gold jersey, I noticed all yeah. the time. But. So DeAndre is a great example to show you him. And he obviously was on a very good team. You think about the other players that were on that team. Mm -hmm. Uh, he won it 11 times, which for us, there's 15 weeks that we judge these guys on. He won 11 of the 15 weeks. And for perspective, uh, Aaron Gordon, who is terrific for us, or Stanley Johnson, both of those guys were lottery picks after a year. Uh, they won it, I think, a combined three times. Wow. So DeAndre winning it 11 times shows you how dominant of a player he was. Wow, that's impressive. That's really amazing. Okay, what is something, something that you emphasize daily? something you emphasize and you do it every single day in practice yes 
You know, I, I would say that there's something defensively uh, that we want to emphasize every single day. And, you know, I would hope that if, if somebody would watch us practice, that if at the end of the practice you would say, you know, what is it that you felt was emphasized, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that they would be able to give feedback uh, to something tangible that we talked to our players about. But I would say the, the other part of it is, if, you know, just what is it every day besides something defensively, just play hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, the one thing that every player can control is their effort level. And if you get a collection of players, as you know, uh, that are playing with, you know, great effort and spirit, it's amazing what you can do as a team. Now, when you're recruiting, you know, an Arizona guy, what do you look for in recruiting? Of course, they have to be talented, all those things. But what about intangibles or what do you look for? Like, what is your total package, kid? You know, I, I think it's changed over time. You know, the one thing on our side, uh, men's side in college basketball, as you know, is uh, our best players leave the quickest. You know, you think about if you were running a company and you had maybe your best ever year as a company and the most talented people that you employ, their prizes, they leave. <laughs> It's, it's like fundamentally flawed and wrong. So, you know, because of that, uh, there's a lot of, I think, variables we look for, one of which is realistic expectations. You know, if somebody has an opportunity to come to our program and, and become a part of the NBA in a year, you know, we hope we can help them do that. And while they're here, I think they can help our university and our program. But there's others that could be here longer, and that's okay. You know, Solomon Hill is an example of somebody that was here for four years, graduated, and was a first-round pick. He right now, I think, is entering year seven as an NBA player. And, you know, we remember T.J. McConnell. Yeah, you know, T.J. transferred from Duquesne University, sat out, played two years, uh, was 23 years old when the draft happened, and he's going into his fifth year. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I think for us, it's just having a balanced really a balanced prospect with his support system that knows that, you know, I want to go to the University of Arizona, not just because it can help me become an NBA player, but because it's a great place. And we, I want to play in a Final Four, mm -hmm. or I want to win a Pac-12 championship, and I believe in the Pac-12 conference in Tucson. So we're looking more and more for those families and kids that really, I think, believe in who we are, not just in what we can do for them. And that's a challenge. So basically, you're really having to recruit a whole team every year. So we've had 11 recruiting classes on our side, and we've signed 61 players, if you can imagine that. Wow. So how many recruiting classes that's have you a, had? That's a lot. I have four. <laughs> like, we're entering my fourth. Yeah, we signed, like, like right. 10. <laughs> but, but and you were rebuilding yeah. as well, you know. So, you know, wow. back in the day, and Coach Olson, you know, he lived this life for a long time. He would get a great class, maybe a balanced class of four or five well, the following year, there's nobody in their right mind that would want to come to Arizona because they know that uh, who's in front of them and they're not leaving. Well, these days, it's like the better class that you have, the more opportunity the next year. So it's like a vicious cycle. Oh, because everybody's going to they're going to leave. <laughs> they feel yeah, like they're going to leave. And then, you know, you, and by the way, they're right, usually. So Yeah, that's not something we'd even think about the women's basketball. So that, that would be hard to be recruiting a whole team. And then even if you don't think that they're ready for the NBA, they always think they are. So right. That's and, the hard part. Mm -hmm. It's like you want to yeah. say, no, you're not ready, but. Yeah. And the one thing that I, I think we've all learned here is, you know, we don't determine who the NBA drafts and neither does the player that we're coaching. The NBA does. And you have to do the best job you can, at least on our end, to, to guide them and their family to listen to the NBA. Because, you know, the NBA doesn't want players entering their their draft or entering their world who aren't ready. They really want 
players that are mature and ready to go. That helps their programs, their teams, and organizations. So, but no doubt that's a big part of college basketball. Yeah. So next thing, what's the biggest difference that you see with this generation from when like we played or when you played college basketball? What's the biggest? For me, I see entitlement mm-hmm. and I see um, just a lot of selfishness and I see lack of toughness. But I don't know if it's the same in men's basketball. So you know. When we were growing up or when we played, skill development was just something that was on the side. You know, I think some players worked on their game individually more than others, and that was always looked at as a good thing. I can almost flip it today and say that almost every player, every kid who aspires to play in college basketball or beyond has a personal trainer or somebody that they consider their workout coach, and they invest a ton of time in that part of things, you know, the skill development. But at the expense of playing and you know the competition that you talked about Adia I would say that's a big deal you know it was like and on the men's side it was shirt skins you know and if you won you stayed on and it was outside on the asphalt <laughs> right yeah, like, or no air conditioning in the gym <laughs> that's right and uh, Damon Stoudemire when he was here he would talk a lot about you know back then those guys playing in bear down yeah, we did. Our, yeah. Damon's a little bit older. Than me. We did every summer. Like it was fun. No air, right? Yeah, no air. And it's like winter stays on, and you want to. You wanted to win because if you didn't, you stood on the side if you didn't get picked, and right? You'd wait like five games to get another game. And that that developed competitiveness. And you know, if you're playing five on five in that dynamic, you're not going to take a bad shot, or you're not going to do something that, quite frankly, you're not good at because you're going to have four teammates looking at you crazy. You know, and yeah. I think in, in a sense it. It, uh, it taught guys how to play the game and how to be competitive. Today's world is so much more about the shooting skill development, and sometimes that same talented player doesn't get enough of that competitiveness five-on-five. Five. Well, I feel like people don't play as much one-on-one either. Right. I felt like when we grew up, you played one-on-one every day with your brother or your whoever. I just feel like, and guys do it a lot more than women, but I feel like they don't do that a lot. And most of the time when they play, it's very organized. You know, it's, it's the travel yeah. team ball. And there's some definite advantages. I mean, if we had the ability to fly all over the country and play in the best tournaments against the best competition, we we may make the argument like, wow, that would have been great. Maybe we could have developed better. But to answer your question, like the side, it's almost become more like an individualized sport. Golf, tennis, you know how they work on their game. Mm -hmm. But if you think about their competition, they don't have a teammate. (laughs) Unless I guess you're playing doubles. Or they have great skill development, you know, teacher. They're not working on the right skills. That's right. And, you know, in our game, there's uh, it's almost saturated on that side. And I think all of us would like to see it a little bit more balanced. Wow. So what are what are your non-negotiables? Like, what will you not stand for in your program? Lack of effort, um, which, you know, sometimes, you know, player just, uh, man, he's he's out of breath. You know, he just can't can't yeah. go or he's given everything that he has. So I put an asterisk next to that. It's just it's not every single second. You know, there's some that I think you have to say, hey, he's playing through um, a, a nagging injury or he's been out there the whole time. Right. He's been this is airy. She's in yes. minute 36. You know, she's exhausted. So <laughs> she's going to do the best <laughs> that she can. But I think lack of effort. And then, you know, the second part is, you know, the culture part of things when somebody's really not buying in to the role that they have or the team concept that we have in place. And but how not that a challenge when you're changing so many players of year? Mm-hmm. How do they even – doesn't it take a year to get into the culture and yeah. teach it? That's, that would be a challenge for me that I think about mm-hmm. with you. I'm like, wow, it takes time for the, the players or to build a culture, and then every year you're adding someone new with a different – attitude a different goal Mm -hmm. trying to go the NBA or not and then you have to I don't know how do you establish that culture then 
it's difficult. And, you know, John Calipari at Kentucky, he does not get enough credit for, for doing that. Imagine him because nobody experiences more turnover per year. And I think sometimes the outside world focuses on the great talent that he has, which he does. But they're all very, very young. And they, they clearly are there to win, but also to become NBA players in one year most of the time. And just to kind of think about him replacing that crew of, of talent every year and recreating his culture. But it's something you have to work a lot, a lot on and uh, something that, you know, we're hard at right now, especially coming off of the last couple of years, but especially last year for us. Okay, last question. Kind of explain to everybody what, what exactly is a player's program? Because you hear so, it a lot, but what did it, how did it come yeah. about? Like, how did you, like, what is it? I hear it, I hear it a lot, but people don't really understand what it means. So... More than 10 years ago, I came here as the the new coach at Arizona. And, you know, for every person that said, awesome opportunity, you should do it, there's probably 10 lined up and saying, you know when you replace a Hall of Famer like Coach Olsen, it's not going to work out for you. Are you sure you want to do that? Not to mention you've never lived out there. You've never recruited out there in the West. And um, and understandably so, like, it, it's not always an easy decision to take any job, uh, especially because we were at Xavier and some fantastic place. But I really looked at our only chance, and not only our only chance, but the way to do it is to really embrace anybody. You know, former assistant coaches, obviously Coach Olson and his family, the, the great players and teams of the past, to make sure that they knew, although I was coming from the outside and would be new, that this would always be their program and that they never looked at it as that was then, this is now. And it's so easy to do in today's world because you don't know them, they don't know you. So that you was don't one. Feel like you have a connection. Mm -hmm. And this was pre, uh, pre-social media. So like our, our slogan or whatever you want to do it, it's become kind of, uh, you know, you would say, well, you're using that in social media. We did that beforehand. Um, so a player's program is something we brought. The, the second level is, you know, while they're here, to just make sure that we really offer them the best of everything. Just like this locker room we're in, you know, they at the University of Arizona, they deserve the best so that there are no excuses. If they come in with a great attitude that they can reach their goals and dreams and uh, that we have all the things in place for them to develop them. And then, you know, the final part is just – a player's program is the future, which is, you know, the lifeblood of all, all of what we do is who's not here right now and who, who's an 11th grader that will one day come here and make a difference, right? Recruiting. So, you know, recruiting, like you asked me the question, not only talented players, but, you know, kids that want to win, that want to be a part of uh, what we have here at the University of Arizona, because I mean, Adia, you know, it, it's such a special place because you live that life as a player that, very few programs have the entire attention of a city like Tucson of a million people. You know, when you're in some ways the only show in town when it comes to sports. So I think that's the best yeah. place to have a college town. I mean, you, you can't even buy tickets for your games. I'm lucky I got some. <laughs> right, right. So, no, I mean, it's, but it's great. Yeah. That's a great problem. Yeah. I mean, and, the city loves basketball. Right. And no different than your run at the end of the year. You know, you looked at what McHale felt like and just kind of see the future of your program right in front of you. That doesn't happen everywhere. Not when you have an NBA franchise, an NHL team, concerts, traffic, yeah. uh, another university. And and we don't share Tucson with anybody. And I think that when you when we're recruiting these young people, really to sell them on what a special place this is. All right, you guys heard it from Sean Miller. Thanks for thanks for thank you, and on. you're doing a great job, Adia. You. Wish you the best of luck, and excited and to no watch you guys. No more podcasts this year, I promise. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Anytime. Mm -hmm. Thank you.